We set out as people that you've appointed as elders, which is administrators, pastoral administrators, and pastors, to look at this church and see what God is doing for us and what God has for us. And so these next three weeks, I, I, I pray that God would impress upon your heart to really be here, to spend time in prayer, maybe even fast if you feel led, um, that you would see what God and seek what God has for us. So what we did is we, we had a retreat as uh, the elders and we met, and we went through and we said, why do we even exist? Why are we here and what is God calling us to do? And those are some big questions and tough questions. And so what happened through all that is, is you see, I wear the same shirt every day. I don't wear my corduroys. I confess to you that um, Jesus and biceps have ruled my life outside of Jesus. And, and, and so I just want to gain a lot of weight and I don't care about, so I outgrew my corduroys. So for those of you in mourning about corduroys, you can buy me a new pair. Thank you. I'm just kidding. And so we've been seeking that and you see our vision on these shirts. It's love God, live community, serve others. Love God is this, this, where we become self-feeders in our time with the Lord, because without being a self-feeder, let's be honest, you can only be spoon-fed so much before you get real selfish. And so uh, encouraging and equipping the saints for the work of the ministry, Ephesians 4, is what God's called me to do as a pastor, and so it's to, it's to love Him personally. But it's also to love Him corporately, and we do okay with that, not great, but every time you come in, the goal is for you and I to experience Jesus. Listen, I, I, we can give all types of seminars on great and wonderful things, but if we don't encounter Jesus, what have we done? There are churches out there doing great things, they have all these plans and they have all these themes, but at the bottom of the day, I want you to be a better person. I want you to be a better family member. I want you to be a better employee. I want us to be better Christians. But at the end of the day, if we don't encounter Jesus, what have we done? So we feel like we, we're getting better at loving God. Living community, I do a terrible job of that. That's getting people assimilated in small groups and being in community. Some of you are doing a great job. I think uh, Julian and Brittany and their group, they do it just phenomenal. Some of you do a phenomenal job with the youth and children. Do phenomenal, but as a whole, that's where we got to really work. And then serving others is where we become, we take the image of God that God's made alive in us through Jesus, and then we cast that image to the world. So when Robert is at Ashley Ridge High School, and he's a teacher there, and he's leading choir, he's casting the image of God. He's showing the traits. He's showing what God is like through the fruit of the Spirit so the people that can see and he can speak and respond to that. It's powerful. And so we cast a shadow. This is what Jesus looks like. But what does it mean to love God? So the notes are on Facebook under Summit Church. And for all those that are watching, uh, especially my family in North Carolina and other people uh, outside of the state, and I, I just praise God for you and thank you. So if you get a chance, look at those notes and pull them up. But we want to talk about what it is to love God. So if I had to give you the point what it is to love God, if I had to really sit down and say, what is loving God? Here's where we're going today. Here's the main idea. The main idea is this, is the greatest way to love God is to go to Him with all of our debt, with all of our baggage, which is insurmountable and immeasurable. We can't, we can't measure it. And we, in all of our earthly treasures, and we give it to Him, and we value Him before anything else. Let me put it a little more tightly. Loving God is this, is treasuring Jesus more than I treasure myself or any relationship 
or any job or any finance. That's it. It's trading what I think is a good life for the best life. That's what it is to love God. And so this is, I'm going to tell you, this is one of the hardest sermons I've ever had to deal with. What is, I mean, what does it really mean? So I want you to, if you take those notes out, I want you to say, think about vision. Think about vision. Proverbs uh, 29, 18. Uh, it's not going to be up here in the King James, but it, you probably heard this if you grew up in church. Where there's no vision, people what? You ever heard anything? Perish. And what is that? What is that? Uh, uh, but you, you see in like the ESV, it says where there is, and I love the ESV on this because they know, what do they mean by vision? Everybody comes to your job and they go, we have a vision for this company. Some people come to their families, we have a vision for this family. Let me tell you something. All visions, unless it's a God vision, means nothing. Come on. Proverbs 29, 18 in the ESV, without prophetic vision, one version says revelation. If you and I don't have a prophetic vision, if we don't have a prophetic vision for God for this church, then not only do people perish, what that means is, is that everyone does what's right in his own eyes. In other words, you see that's what they did. Uh, in other words, the people cast off restraint. People do that. We see that in society today. We see everybody trying on social media, here's the answer to race problems, here's the answer to political problems, here's the answer to financial problems, and is it not more of a mess than what it we started? There's of just angry people. Because there's no galvanizing, because there's no prophetic. Let me tell you something, what's great is many of you played on some type of sports team or in some type of band, and when you do life with somebody, you'll die for them. Listen, I shed my blood and broke my bones for people that don't have the same color as me. I was a fat offensive lineman, so I was like a weeble. Weebles wobble, but they, yeah, yeah, so you get, that's prophetic. And so... It didn't matter because I loved him, because we had a common goal. If sports can bring people through from all cultures and all socioeconomic backgrounds, what can Jesus do? He's the answer. But nobody wants to go that way outside of believers because it's a path of death to life, not life to death. So it's a little more different. So where there's no prophetic vision, that is revelation, people cast off restraint. So everyone does what's right in his own eyes. Think of Tower of Babel. Think of what happens. When you, everyone does what's right in their own eyes, we, it leads to confusion. It leads to chaos. Judges 2.10 said it this way, that after they moved into the promised land, Joshua dies, and Joshua prophetically told him a prophetic vision. He said, you will not tell your children. And so in Judges to a next generation, right after they get into the promised land, get settled. Look what it says. After that, whole generation had been gathered to the ancestors. That is Joshua's generation after he died and that next generation after they died. Another generation grew up who neither knew the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. And there's danger when people don't know this. Now, without the Spirit of God within us, this will not touch. I can put this on Instagram. I can snap it. I can do Snapchat all day. I can put it on Facebook stories all day. But if the Spirit of God isn't working in somebody, it, it, it's going to be on deaf ears. Read the parable in Matthew 13. Am I talking to Y'all know what I'm talking about when Jesus cast a word and Satan came and took it away. Why? Because if they're not listening to the Spirit, it's dead words to them. But when the Spirit meets the Word of God, you have a nuclear explosion in the Spirit. 
and there's life. Judges 17, 6. It's a, it's a rough book if you read it. I love it, but it's rough. In the, towards the end of the book, the middle, almost the second third of the book says this in Judges 17, 6. It says, in those days Israel had no king. When you have no king, you have no prophetic vision. If I'm the king of my life, I have no prophetic vision. But if Jesus is the king of kings and lord of lords of my life, then guess what? I got a prophetic vision, don't I? I'm going somewhere because he has a plan. He has a purpose. You see, it's a prophetic. I'm no cast off restraint. I put my hands to the plow. I don't look back, and I fix my eyes on Jesus. I let him transform my mind because he's transformed my heart, and my heart and my mind line up, and boom, we go. But in the last verse, in the last chapter of Judges, it repeats the exact same thing. In those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as he saw fit. The same thing that's happening today in our culture. And so the Christians know that we are going to stand up. Romans 8, the earth is groaning for the sons of God, it's us, to rise up. We need a prophetic vision. And we got to teach that vision to everyone. My personal, God gave me, I spent time with God a lot in his seminary in and if people say, well, I have a prophetic vision. I have a, I have a word from God. I have a vision for my life. And I'm like, just love God. Do what he says. It's not that hard. And they're like, no, no, I have a prophetic word. And I'm like, okay. So I spent time with God. I was like, God, I want a prophetic word. Give me something. If y'all know what I'm talking about. So God gave me, he literally gave me Psalm 7118. I've read it before, but it never jumped out. And it, left, it leaped so much in my heart that my mind aligned with it. I'm telling you, you know what it is when you go to apply for a job. Your mind says, take the job, take the money, but your heart says it's not in it. And then sometimes your heart's in it, but you don't get, you, you don't get it, it's not what you need. And your mind doesn't line up. But when your mind and heart line up, you know God is speaking. Psalm 7118 says this, even when I'm old and gray, do not forsake me, O God, till I declare your power to the next generation, your might to all who are to come. King David said that. And the Lord spoke to me to the best that I can understand the Holy Spirit. That is your prophetic vision personally, John. So the rest of my days, I've got to spend it in that. So what is Summit's prophetic vision? What is it? Well, the first one, we're going to go through it these next three weeks, but the first one is love God. So what does it mean for us corporately and, and to love God? What, is it, what does it mean? I mean, first of all, let's back it up. Why even, why is love God? I know some of you theologians already know why, don't you? What's your first thought when I say, why would that be, why are we just giving some theological treaties and some, some erudite diatribe towards that? I mean, what are, we, what are we saying? We're saying this. We're saying, why is love God first? Well, Matthew 22 says it. Verse 34, hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees. The Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, lawyer, tested him with this question, teacher. Notice it's not, it's not Lord, it's not Savior, it's not King of Kings, it's not God. Oh, by the way, where did Jesus call himself God? Where do we see this in Scripture? Look at the Gospel of John chapter 1, just within the first 14 verses, you'll see it there. The teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, what, saints? Yes. 
He says it right there. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And look what he says in the second, in the verse, the next verse. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 40. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. But let's go back to verse 38. If you go back to verse 38, he says this. The first and greatest command, I apologize. You go back to 37, it says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. You don't have to go to the next verse, but the, then, the, then it says later on, and love your neighbor as yourself. So what is the common theme of the two great commandments? What is it? Right. The only way the culture is going to change is love. It's never going to change. Never going to change. We can come up with financial answers. We can come up with all kinds of repentant answers. But until Jesus becomes Lord in people's lives, there will be no answer. Marriages change because the love of God moves in. Jobs change and family changes because the love of God moves in. Even if we're the only one, we stand strong because greater is he that is in us than what? This is a game changer. Jesus plus no one is greater than everyone. He doesn't need backup. He doesn't need a front guard. He doesn't need a side guard. He doesn't need protection. He is the Lord. So the question is, why did the Lord lead us as a church to say we're going to love God, and why does it start with us in corporate worship and individual worship? Why is that? Because it is what God, through love, wants us to do. So this question is, how do we become, how do we, how do we love God? Well, if you look at Matthew chapter 22, verse 37, what does it say there in Matthew 22, 37, about us to love God? He, Jesus replied, love the what, saints? Ah, that was pretty weak. Love the what? Lord. He didn't just say love God. Now, we abbreviated. Y'all know what I'm saying? Because we don't, like it doesn't fit on a shirt, right? You know what I mean? You know, unless I gain weight, then I can put an in my. Uh, so, right, you get a visual. Like you can put all the scripture in like, as the world turns. And so, and some of y'all got that. <laughs> okay. So, my point is, is that love the what? If Jesus is not Lord, he's not God. The only way that we, the, the how's the first way? It's got to come with, it's got to come with him being Lord. Now, some of you are saying, well, John, here it is again. You're preaching all that salvation. Is there anything else to preach? There's two things I can do right now that I can't do in heaven. One is sin. And one is evangelize. One I don't want to do, and the other one I do want to do. There's two things I know. So he says, love the Lord your God. What do I mean by that? What does it mean? In other words, we cannot love God without him being Lord. Think about, it, think about this. In other words, th there's a reason why God is saying this. It's, it, there's no way that we can love him unless he is not Lord of my life. He can't just be this God, weird figure somewhere above the clouds, if you think one dimension, by the way, there's 10 dimensions, but maybe 11, but the, the, if you think right, right, string theories, 10, M theories, 11 dimensions, and so if, he's, if you just think he just went up there and he's someone like I'm praying somewhere above the stars or something, like, that's not true. 
He is multidimensional, and he's in everything that we do. And here's the thing. We can't love him if he's not Lord. And there's no way we can live, love God unless something happens to the dead spirit within us. When Adam and Eve sinned, they not only gave authority to Satan on earth and taking the place of what Adam was supposed to do, that's why Jesus became the second Adam, but inside their spirits died. That is, their ability, the image of God, to have a relationship. The image of God means we don't look like God, we have the ability to have a relationship. So, Colossians 2, 13 through 15, the Word of God, how do we love Him? When you are dead in your sins, and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, that means all this extra stuff had come into our life that hindered our relationship with God. That's what sin does. Sin builds walls. Right? We know that from relationships, don't we? Am I telling the truth? People that have walked a little bit in life? Sin builds walls. And so he says, you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh. And look what it says. Here's how he becomes Lord. God made you what, saints? Alive. He made us alive in Christ. That's the way we love him. We should not be dead. When people come in here, they should say, now listen, I know personalities range. Some people worship like this. Some people like this. Some people like me. You want to jump around and spin. I get it, right? And and I'm I'm just saying that we don't want to distract from anybody. We don't worship about us. Y'all are so sweet and kind. You don't want to be loud and boisterous. Let somebody, you know, look at you and and think, oh gosh, you know, and become distracted. I get it. But there's different types of this. And especially we were made alive. But either way, we're still alive. And that's got to be some of the difference in Summit. He forgave us of all our sins, all. Notice the scripture, all, not some, not just past, not just present, not just future, but all sins. Having, look what he says, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness. In other words, if we're not wrecked that we are guilty as charged, then we can never ask Jesus to be Lord of our charge break it down for you. If people aren't convicted by their sin, they're never going to come to God. God has the plan for you. That's true. But before he has a plan, the first part of the plan is get right. We've sinned. And there's a gap. And you know that. And look what he says. Having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, that means there's no charge again. You said, but John, I just sinned. I just sinned last night or I just sinned this week or maybe I sinned this morning. It's already been paid. Isn't that what Jesus said? It is finished to tell us I paid in full, right? It's, it's already been paid. It which stood against us and condemned us. And Satan is still hanging on to that. And so listen, his voice means nothing to Jesus, but sometimes his voice means something to us. Oh, did I hit something? Huh? Come on, what do I mean by that? You mean, like, what do you mean I'm listening to Satan? What I mean by this is sometimes you hear the echo of his lies and believe them. Come on. Well, here's a lie. This relationship's never going to work. Or, I don't know why you call me this job. I mean, we just, we believe that stuff. He's not, it's gone. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities. Now, we walk with victory, and when we go into the places where Satan reigns, we come in with a greater king. His name is Jesus, and the creator says to the creation, get out, the earth is mine. 
And we come with that authority. And by the way, we don't have to fight. All we have to do is stand. And when God is Lord, we stand in the fight. When God is Lord, David comes and stands against Goliath. Everybody else flees. But when he is Lord, we realize that God will show up. That is worship. God's got to show up. He's got to show up today. He's got to show up now. He made a public spectacle, a, a public spectacle of them, trying, triumphing over them by the cross. That is, the blood of Jesus destroys everything in its path and brings life and renewal and restoration. And listen, I want to tell you, there's no sacrifices you can I can make because in Hebrews 10. Chapter 4, it says, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins, because there's only one person that can take it away, and his name is what? And so what happens at our salvation when he becomes Lord? Ezekiel 36, 26. And Michael, you said this was your verse, right? It's also in Ezekiel 11, I think, verse 16. But this is what I love. This is where the dead person becomes to life. This is where we get life. This is when you know somebody walks with Jesus. People say, there's a lot of people say, oh, oh yeah, I, I, there's a lot of people that talk about God, but I don't see a lot of people that love God. This is how you know. Ezekiel 36, 26 says, I will give you a new heart. That's what it means we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were dead. Ephesians 2, 1, dead. Colossians 2, we were dead. He says, I'll give you a new heart. And what does he say about this heart? He says, I'm going to put what, saints? A new spirit, that is the Holy Spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone. That is the Matthew 13 where the Word of God hits the, the, the soil and it's hard. He, God has cultivated some plant, some water, 1 Corinthians 2, right? But God gives a yes. And so what happens is God is taking out the heart of stone of people when they hear the Word of God preach and proclaim and lived out under the anointing of God with the power of the Holy Spirit, and then their heart of stone goes, God wakes their dead heart and sees Jesus Christ as the greatest treasure of them all, and then he puts the Spirit in there. Why? Why does he put the Spirit? Why did Jesus say it's good for me to go away? So the Holy Spirit comes in us, and we have the power, the voice of God. John 16, he reminds us the words of Christ. John 14, he reminds us, he convicts the world of sin. The presence of the Holy Spirit alive in us, going for us, and we and then we stand in the middle of the Bible. It's Ephesians 6, we stand in the, in the, on the Word of God in the battle, and we say, okay, God, now you stand, now you deliver me in the middle of my stance. So what does he say in Ephesians 6? Verse 10, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you'll be able to take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggles, not against flesh and blood. But against the rulers, against authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the, in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the form of God so that you'll be, be able to stand. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then. So we stand and watch the deliverance. We, like Elisha, walk out. And, and Gehazi's servant's freaking out. He's like, they're around us. They're going to kill us. And Elisha prays, open up their eyes, open up his eyes. And Gehazi opens his eyes up and looks around, and there are the Lord of angel armies all around, and angels of fire on the hills. And all of a sudden he realizes, I'm not alone. I love knowing that God sends his angels, but I also love more that God sent his Holy Spirit. Angels are creatures. 
the Holy Spirit's the creator who was hovering over the waters in Genesis 1. So here we see this. This is what it is to worship. He's given us a a heart of flesh. Now 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this. Clearly it says now that he's given us this new heart. Now that we're made alive and death is not not a tunnel, uh, excuse me, a cave that we go into. Death now has no sting because now it's a servant of God to lead us to him. Therefore is anyone in Christ, he says this, the new creation has come. Now we're a new creation because we have a new heart that the spirit of God is in here and then when you take the Word of God in your quiet time, and what we're doing right now, when we take the Word of God and it hits the Spirit of God in our heart, we say, yes, Lord. Are you with me? Are y'all tracking me? Is this making sense? This is what it means to call Him Lord. And so now as a Christian, we walk with God, we, we, we walk with the Holy Spirit. We've been sealed in the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 1, 13 through 14 and 4, Ephesians 4, 30, we're sealed. And so anytime that we sin, we become like King David and we cry out in Psalm 51. It says, create in me a pure heart, O God, or a clean heart, because we recognize our sin, a clean heart, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. In other words, God, renew me. Take this, take this heart of stone that, you, uh, that, that, that was trying to creep back in and you got me this heart of flesh that you put in, so now mold it, make it to what you want it to be. And then we cry out in Revelation 12, 7, as we walk in the Lord, as we walk in the Lord, we overcame, right? It says, the Bible says, and they overcame, or they conquered in one version, or they triumphed in one version, or they defeated in the New Living Translation. It says, and they overcame Satan, that is him, because of the blood of the Lamb and the what, saints? Word of his testimony. We overcome by the blood because the blood allows the presence of God within us and the victory that's coming. And then the word of God takes root and produces fire in our heart. We love God that way. We walk God and we never get over our salvation. We never get over it. Look, I, I, I used to not like when I was growing up in them old songs about Jesus, but you know what? As I've gotten a little bit older and, and, I, and I spend time with God, I, I realize that it's not maybe the rhythm of the song, but it was really the power of the person singing the song. It was the anointing that was behind the song. I, I, there's a, I'm not a, a huge, huge, you know, Southern Gospels uh, uh, genre type guy. That's just not my flavor flavor, but you know, I just, I just, you know, listen sometimes and listen to these sweet saints that are singing strong. And I remember going in seminary and listen, uh, as I drive up the road, I'd listen to all different types of genres. And I, I was getting a lot into the Brooklyn Tabernacle and, and reading some of the pastor stuff and just really diving in. And then you get into Jason Crabb and those others. They were, one time, Jason Crabb and the Brooklyn Tabernacle went to Angola Prison. Y'all know what I'm talking about in Louisiana? And they're in the middle there, and they're outside in the middle of like this little arena, and the, the inmates are uh, under the shade. And man, these people are singing about the power of the gospel, and, and we're getting ready to show it. And some of you are going to look at it and say, man, that song doesn't do anything to me. But here's not. The point is, it's not the song, it's the words and the anointing of the people doing it. They overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. And you watch these sweet saints go into broken places that Satan rules, and they walk in and say, no, 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 no. The, or Psalm 24, 1, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. 
The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And we're going, it's the blood of the Lamb. And these sweet saints go all the way back. They don't start talking about these great plans that God has for people alive. They don't turn around and talk about, oh, God's going to do this and God's going to do it. They'll, they talk about what God's already done so he can do it. And they go back to the blood. If you don't mind, uh, the next minute and a half, Josh Rice is going to just show you a little bit of this video. And you're going to see... It's, he's going to start about three minutes in. You just, I want you to watch the passion of, and, and, and the ethos of these people singing their hearts out in a place and giving God glory. Would you play that for us, Josh, and crank that thing up? You see those inmates cheering about the name of God. And you saw a man giving his heart out over the blood of Jesus. I have cried and cried over that song. That's what it is to worship God. To get back to the day that you and I we're radically saved by the gospel. We're so looking for God to do something in our midst when if we realize he's already done it, he will do it. And those people step into the darkest places and with the anointed, that man's anointed. And so are you. And you think you have to be up here to be anointed. 
God has called you into his context. He's called you in a place to love him and just stand for him and he'll take care of it. And if your boss and your marriage and your friends all fall apart, there is a God that's higher than all that, I promise. And that's what I want Summit to be. I'm sick and tired of churches. Well, we got a series on marriage. And we got, listen, I'll tell you who will fix your marriage, Jesus. I'll tell you who will fix your job, Jesus. I'll tell you who will fix your personal life, Jesus. Fall madly in love with him. I'm telling you. Now, there's, I'm not saying that we as a church shouldn't have seminars and do things and teachings and, and do thematic things on that. I'm not saying that, but at the end of the day, when we go back to those places and we go into places where people don't know the Lord, and we want to equip you, we want us to worship Him from a place of our brokenness where He redeemed us and saved us. And that nothing is too hard for our God because our God is able. And when I'm faithless, He is faithful. And so it leads me to where we want to land. When he says to love the Lord your God, that word in the original language, some of you, you all, people say agape, it's agapeo in that, that, that tense, but that root. It means this. One, one grammarian said this. It means this. It means, and I hope you write it down. I hope you pray through it. But you know what loving God means? Loving God means in the midst of this worship, in the midst of our time, in the midst of our life, it means preferring to live through Christ. That is, embracing God's will and his choices and obeying him through his power. That's what it means. Loving God, when we say we love God, that means that we're going to embrace God's choices and we're going to live in his choices through his power. That's loving God. That's what he meant when in, in the Old Testament he said obedience is better than sacrifice. It means obey the choice of God. Jesus struggled with it. God, if it's, if it's your will, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will but yours, right? But he obeyed God's choice, which was to go to the cross. And he obeyed it in the power of God because his promises are real. I want to tell you that's what it is to love God. And at Summit, we might not be highfalutin. And we might not have all the stained glass, and we might not have our own building, and we might not have beautiful signs at a great coffee area, and we not may be lined up with all these other things. But I'll tell you one thing that on my death I want us to have, and that is the power of the Holy Spirit every time somebody comes in this place. And we've seen people radically saved in this place from former Muslims to you name it, with mo- people that were Muslim, that whatever, and we've seen people radically saved. And it's not us, but Jesus Christ disarmed every demon on the cross by his blood, and he will do it for us, but we got to fall in love with him. we got to come from a place where we can say, my sins are washed away. we got to come from that place where we love him. That is, loving is, in other words, love is always defined by God. We don't define it. When, when a scholar said, it's a discriminating affection which involves choice and selection. 
God chooses, God selects, we obey. And we are in love and we trust him. We treasure him. That's why the man sold all he had and he found the treasure in the field and he went and bought the field. Why? Because he didn't want to drive a Cadillac when he could drive a Ferrari. And everybody trades for this relationship that's broken instead of having the relationship with Christ. And we have the relationship with Christ and we walk in Christ. Then God sends us the relationships we're supposed to have. And the joy is obeying him and his will because God is so satisfying. And if we can live satisfied now, what is heaven going to be like? And that is why, that is why people don't obey God's choices. They're not, he's not Lord, though they call him that. Because when you call Jesus Lord, we obey his choice because we trust him. We love him, and he's satisfying. It's his presence we're after. His presence. Not his gifts, but his presence. Who he is. And that's why people, that's why, that's why, this living through God's will, living through Christ. But people, that's why Matthew 7, 21, he says to this, and people get scared of this passage, and I used to terrify me. But as I begin to really grow in the Lord, he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does what, saints? I didn't hear you, but he who does the what? That is to love God. Loving God means that we, uh, uh, we live in Christ. We, we follow his choice, his plan, his will, his way, and we trust that he will do it, and we walk in his power, the presence of the Holy Spirit. That's why people, not everyone says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he clearly says here, he says, but he who does the will of my Father, that it stays in the loving choice of the Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we, did, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. The reason why is we can be used by God but not known by God, one preacher said. So here's where I want to be today. Here's where I want us to, to sit. Here's where I want us to understand and land. Look at Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7 means so much to me. This passage, uh, not only because I taught the book of Luke here at the school, but it's the greatest liberating book I've ever, ever seen. On purpose, Jesus, this book is written to Gentiles, so it, it, Jesus becomes the greatest liberator of women, greatest liberator of Gentiles, greatest liberator of the, the lost and the broken. It's just beautiful. But here's a passage of, I'm indebted to John Bloom. I was reading an article that he wrote back in 2013, and he brought up this passage, and it just stung my heart. And I pray that I would just, we would read it together and then respond. Loving God means making him, not making him, but surrendering to him as Lord. In corporate worship, why do we love God first? Not because he said it, but because it's good. It's his choice. It's his discriminating affection. He says, this is the best way to uh, have affection for me. He gets to choose it. He says, if you just put me first, if you just love me, and that is we just obey his will, his choices. And we trust his power in the midst of those choices. 
And so if you're in a place right now where you don't have a relationship and you're trying to trust God, guess what? He will do it because he's not a liar. And though everybody else in your life might have walked out on you, I promise you, God is not a man that he should lie. So if we had a jacked up earthly father, we can't superimpose that on a God who is not a man. This passage wrecks me. Verse 38, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. I'm sorry, verse 36. Luke 7, verse 36. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. And here is a man who has acknowledged, I think it was John Bloom who said, it was amazing that here is a man who is significant. He had all the theological education. Everybody thought that he was a servant of God. But when we read this passage, we find out that she is the servant of God. It's just powerful when I look at this passage. It's just powerful when I see this. You know, I watch this in verse 38. As she stood behind his feet weeping, and she began to wet his feet with her tears, the Holy Spirit sweetly spoke to the back of my ear and said, John, let your tears fall on Jesus. Before you let your tears fall on anybody else, let your tears fall on Jesus. And why do I say that? And then the Holy Spirit began to express to me why I said, said that. It's because in Psalm 56, verse 8, the Holy Spirit means that God will do something with my tears. Watch what happens. Psalm 56, 8 says, you have taken account of my wanderings. You put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? You know what the Egyptians would do? They would pass around at the funerals, and people would put their tears in the bottle, and then they would bury the person with the tears. So when the person went to their mythological god, uh, as they became a god, then they would say, look how many people I influence. Well, here's what's interesting. God says that he has put uh, our tears in his bottle, and that he will take care of it, and he will remember them. John, put your tears on Jesus, because he will do something with those tears, and he forgives this woman. He does something with them. This is what it is to love God. She, who's known as a sinful person, came to a place when she heard, here's a Pharisee, a man above everything, yet she comes. She's, she comes, the world sees her as shame, but Jesus sees her as forgiven. That's what it is to worship unashamed. We don't hide in here. We release in here. No one mistook her as a servant of God. 
She began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Pharisee, think about it. He didn't even respect Jesus. He's not even going to wash Jesus' feet, which is thousands of years they've done that as a custom, and he doesn't even do it. And then he's, he's, he's mocking Jesus in his mind going, well, he, he, he thinks he's somebody. He doesn't even know who this woman is. She just shows up. Imagine how startled everybody is that here's this sinner, probably a prostitute, coming in and, and weeping over Jesus, weeping and washing his feet. And Jesus is letting it happen. Why? Because Jesus will let anybody come to him who loves him. When the Pharisee who had invited him, saw this. He said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is. And then what does he say, saints? That she is a what? I think it was Warren Wiersbe who said, he never said he is a sinner. Can I say that one more time? He said she is a sinner, but true worship of God is saying, I'm the sinner. who has now become a saint by the grace of God. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you, not I want to ask you, but I'm going to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii, that's a daily wage, and another 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Love God. Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? Holy Spirit spoke to me in the middle of this. You know what he said to me, Robert? He said, the reason why we don't have the name of the woman is because she is not the point. Jesus is. You, let me break it down. When you and I serve, this church will never be built on John Davis. It'll be built on Jesus Christ. And I will preach him, and I will preach him, and I will preach him every Sunday. I'm not saying that Nick Ballinger and I and other people won't get up here and preach themes and that Hayden will not get up and preach themes, but I'm going to tell you what, if we don't land on the cross, then we haven't preached the gospel. Fire us. Who she is, her name is not the hero of the story. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, which is what, it's, it's, a, it's what you're supposed to do when you have people come in. So he dishonored Jesus. People come in to worship, they dishonor But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. I want to say something for a moment. 
Jesus went to that house and was in the middle of eating and doing what he was supposed to do, and the host never did what he was supposed to do, and Jesus never was offended. I want to say something to everybody in this room. When we love Jesus, we don't get offended that easily. Anybody tracking? Because love covers a multitude of sins. Jesus was not offended. The King of kings and Lord of lords does not need man's validation to be who he is. He is who he is, and we need his validation for us. He is not offended. He did not get offended. But man, look on social media. Everybody's offended. Because there's no love. Prophesied in the pastoral epistles in Timothy, the love of many will grow cold. You did not give me water for my feet, but she she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing me. That is the recognizing of him as a brother, as, 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 as more treasured, as more valuable. He didn't do that, and she has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. She gave everything she had. She realized that she had a debt that she couldn't pay, and all that she had, her greatest treasure, this alabaster jar, she gives and gives it to Jesus, and that's not enough. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love is shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Robert, will you play over me? Here's what I want to say today. God has a plan when you take your tears to him. God has a plan regardless of the depths of the sin. Loving God is this, is treasuring him over anything else, regardless of what the world says is the elite. The Pharisee was the elite, and yet that woman became honored. I want you to know in the midst of the church family, the world might reject you, but God's church will honor you. She was honored. It's amazing sometimes in the church we we become what we're supposed to be because this is the place where we're supposed to be. Loving God is just coming to him with with realizing, man, if it wasn't for the blood of Jesus, that's what it is to love God. So where where do we go from here? Where Where do we go? Jesus' feet were not just washed with their tears, but they were anointed with oil. You and I have been anointed with the Holy Spirit because God had a plan for his feet. His feet were going to bring peace. He's the Prince of Peace. Uh, God is the God of peace. The fruit of the Spirit is peace. Peace is in the Trinity. And so wherever Jesus went, he brought peace. Where there was a funeral, he brought a resurrection. Where there was blind, he brought sight. Where there was a demonic possession, he brought deliverance. Where there was not enough to eat, he provided it. He brought peace. And as, as followers of Christ... Loving God means we bring peace in situations. So there could be restlessness in our jobs. And and God says, just be the people of peace. Fall in love with God. Let God do it. Stand for him. And if you get fired, trust, trust God that he is Lord over all and that he will provide. What did he say in all my years? King David said, in all my years, I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor seed begging for bread. So where do we go? What is the, what is the takeaway, the walking point? 
the application. I want us to take a moment. We're going to sing a song about Jesus, and that's all it is. Jesus, Jesus, think about it. Think about the moment you were rescued. I want to ask you a question in this room for those who have been saved. Are you excited today as you were when you were saved? Huh? Come on. Tell the truth. Shame the devil. My answer is no. When I got saved as an 18-year-old in Virginia Beach, after we were doing some prison ministry and I came out and there was an inmate who I saw, the image of God, Man, my heart was joyful. I couldn't wait to worship God. And we got, and listen, let's be honest, in this world, the roads are empty on Sunday mornings. Right? Because Sunday's the day that everybody got to have fun day, got to step back, realizing that somehow that fun is going to give them the rest that we need. But Jesus said, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. What did you feel when you were, the moment you were born again? What did, you, what did you think and do? Is that excitement still there? Has it grown? Because the seed of faith becomes large. Am I more grateful? If not, I, I want us to ask the Holy Spirit to ignite a fire in us, to fan into flame, as 2 Timothy 1.6, fan into flame, and begin to praise God. Right now in the midst as he did. I mean, right now, I don't, I don't care if you want to give your, you want to come to the Lord in tears, you want to come to the Lord with some other type of uh, rejoicing and praise, but whatever it is right now as a church, if we honor God, we are loving him. Maybe you're faced with a choice. Stay with God's choice and trust his power. Stay with God, trust his power. Luke 7, 47. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. The more we love God, the expression of what he's done for us, the more we show the world that God will forgive and that he can, and that he has. And that is why we love God, because it shows Jesus. And when we don't love him, we don't show him. We're getting ready to go through a lot of changes as a church in good ways, a lot of methodology. I'm going to talk about that tonight as well. But it's got to start with loving him. Ask God to give you love. And if you don't know Jesus, let's just be straight up. You, you, you know God, but you, he's not your Lord. Because if he's your Lord, you, the Holy Spirit moves in your heart joyfully to make those choices. And sometimes it's through prayer and fasting and tears. But at the end, there's such peace that God calls us to. That's why we do it. If you don't know him as Lord, you can come like this woman. And you can come with all that you have which is you. And you just lay it at his feet and just come to him and call on him for Savior. That the blood of Jesus on the cross 
washed away your sins, and he saved you. And if he's not your Lord, he is not your Savior. And only you can answer that. The Holy Spirit is speaking to you. If you're a believer in this room and you've, you need to readjust and let God, the sanctifying work in his life, let him be Lord over a certain area, then you need to come and do that. If you want to come and pray and kneel and want to come and stand and raise your hands. But this song, I don't know how long it'll go. I'm just going to tell you. But we're going to press into the kingdom. You come as the Lord leads. Father, I pray that we never get over by the, the, the great work of the blood of Jesus. We never get over Jesus, the one who rescued us and saved us and redeemed us. Lord, I don't know who needs to come forward and just maybe lay some tears at you and let them fall at your feet. Maybe some people want to come and kneel and pray over a choice. And, or maybe some of us want to just come and kneel and say, thank you, Lord. Thank you that you just saved me. 20 years ago, 30 years ago, five years ago, five months ago, but you saved me. Or five minutes ago. Maybe, Lord, we just need to come from as a thankful heart like this woman. And just come to you and just say, Lord, thank you. For those who have been forgiven much, love much, and Lord, you had to forgive me of much because my sins are many. So, Lord, we just right now, in the name of Jesus, we lift up your name. And we glorify the name that is above every name. And we just want to tell you today we love you. We don't have anything to give. We have everything to get. But what we have, we give to you, which is our very breath. And we say, blessed be the name of the Lord. We praise you today. We call upon you for our friends and our families and our jobs and our loss. We call upon you to renew our hearts. We call upon you to create in us a pure heart and a clean heart. We call on us to do something mighty. We call on you to do something in this church. We call on you, Lord. We need you. We will never do anything thing as a church, we will not make it if we don't love Jesus. It ain't going to be a program that saves us. It's not going to be amount of money that saves us. The money will run out. Churches are dying that have great buildings and great pocketbooks, but they have no people. It will run out without the work of Jesus. God, please move in every one of our hearts. People sitting out there, I pray that they'll something. People that are kneeling, God, call upon us. Call, call to us, Lord. Speak to us. Say something. Change us. Here we are. We're yours. This song, Lord, we're going to sing with all our hearts. We call upon you. We love you. We praise you. In the name of Jesus' name.